Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. We need to understand that love and discipline come together, right? And the Bible says if you don't discipline your kids, you might know what it says. It says you hate them. You don't love them. You can't be like, I love my kid. That's why I don't spank them. No, no, no. You, you love your kid when it's necessary. I'm not telling y'all to go beat your kids, you know, but... <laughs> Some of them need a whooping or two, though. But, you know, if you love them, God, the Bible says you will discipline them. It's part of loving your kids, giving them some boundaries and stuff. So same thing with the church, right? It's a loving thing to, to give discipline when needed. Did you know that love and discipline go together? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Bill, he teaches you that without discipline, there is no love. God, as a good father, lovingly corrects you when you're straying away from his ways. Parents lovingly correct their children when they begin to stray. Pastor Bill explains that discipline also needs to be found within the church. It's not bad to have discipline and correction. It's loving. How can you develop more discipline in your walk with the Lord? Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, but I determined this within myself that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad, but the one who is made sorrowful by me? So Paul had said, you know, he, he didn't go back for the second visit. And one of the reasons is, Paul said, I didn't want to come back to you guys while everything was all messed up. Anybody here ever had to be a disciplinarian? Nobody wants to do that all the time. No one wants to always be the disciplinarian, you know? I, some of us have maybe had the, the, the challenge of raising a child out of two homes. And if you happen to be the home that does discipline, and then there's another home that doesn't do discipline, guess whose home is the bad guy home? Your home. You're like, I don't want to go to your house. You're always telling me what I can't do. You know, It creates that sort of tension and challenge. And so same thing happens within the church. You know, The church is very divided today. Different churches of different opinions. We don't all speak the same things. And so you got one church that's super holy and legalistic. And if you sneeze out the left nostril, you don't belong here. You know, we got that group. Then we got the, the polar opposite. We got this side over here where everything and anything goes. You can do whatever you want. Don't judge me. Just leave me be. And, and both sides, you got error. Um, what we want to do is find a, the, the biblical balance. And we'll find as we do that. That there are instances, and we'll see what they are, where God would say, you should, that should be discipline uh, employed there. And then there are instances where God would say, you need to be gracious and forgive and receive people back. And, and we want to know how to do it, that we would honor God and how we treat one another. Amen. And so Paul says, look, I don't want to come. I didn't want to come and be sorrowful with you guys again. And he says, you guys make me glad. I love you guys. And I want you to hear Paul's heart. This is a pastor that says, I, I love you guys. And even though you guys are accusing me of stuff that's not true and blaming me for this, that, and the, I care about you guys. I want to come back when everything is right so we can enjoy fellowship with one another. Verse three, Paul says, and I wrote this very thing to you, least when I came, I should have sorrow over those for whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. And so Paul says, look, I, I held off and I'm waiting because I, I, I want to come back together when everything is good. I want us to have joy together. And I would just challenge us to consider, right? Paul says, you guys are my joy. You guys make, you guys are my delight. When Paul would hear of some of the churches he planted, he would hear that they were doing well. He was 
he was he was excited about that. Those are the things that lit him up, that made him joyful. That man, they, they, that church over there is doing great. Those believers are doing wonderful. They they heeded the counsel. They're thriving in God. Like those were the things that excited Paul. I just would challenge us. What excites you? Like what gets you excited? Do, are you excited about the things that God is excited about? Does the things that bless God's heart, they bless your heart? Do you care about them? I was talking to a friend of mine who's a, a Raiders fan. Not starting any stuff. I'm not a, I'm not a Raiders fan. Um, I don't really have a football team. So, you know, but, you know, if you are a Raiders fan, you haven't had anything to cheer about for a very long time. So I was, I'm happy with him. I'm like, man, he was, he had all his gear. He had his hat, his shirt. I said, man, wear that stuff, man. You know, I'm happy for you that right now you get to enjoy this season. Nothing wrong with, you know, enjoying your sports and your teams and whatnot. But obviously he was, it was a delight to him that my team is doing well. He's walking around representing it. I'm just saying as believers, do we have that same sort of, you know, excitement and joy when we hear about other people that are doing well man that my friend came to christ and they found a good church and my sister over here is she was caught up in that but now she's doing well and god is having his way in her life like do we care about that are those things excite us are we cheering that on in the same sort of way you know paul said that was what paul paul was into paul was into the people and when they were doing great he was blessed when they were doing bad he was bummed out he was writing letters to try to encourage them do we care about what God cares about? It's important. We want to we want to check that, you know, that, that our priorities be correct, that they be right. Look at verse four now. He says, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. And so when Paul wrote these letters, even though they were letters of correction, Paul said, I want you to understand the, the attitude of my heart. Some people thought Paul was harsh. If you give corrections, that's how some people are going to look at you. You mean, you harsh, you judging. But Paul said, that wasn't my heart. He said, it was with anguish of heart. He said, with many tears. I booed over y'all. I was writing these letters crying about your condition. Um, you know, I, I, I look back to my growing up. And, you know, my, my mom was a, you know, my mom, she, no, my mom's passed away. But my mom was a very, like, emotional woman. You know, and she felt everything she felt. She felt strong. If she was, you know, happy, she was happy, 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 happy. You know, if she was sad. It was a whoo, you know. So I remember my mom, you know, whenever things weren't good, my mom would just cry like that. You know, if I wasn't good, mom, Billy, are you OK, Billy? Like she would try to look me in my eye and see if she can feel, you know, and see it, whatever. But I, I always remember her like her tears, you know, even when she had to do difficult things, it was hard. You know, when I was younger, my mom would have to punish me or correct me. She couldn't even, you know, she would put me on punishment. And I would know all I got to do is give it a day. Just be nice for a day and I'll just cuddle up with her and just act like I'm, you know. And she couldn't stand to see me unhappy, you know. So it'd be like my friends would come by and she told me I couldn't go outside. I'm like, I, I can't come outside, guys. Sorry. My mom said I can't go outside and just go sit back in there. And next thing you know, I was back outside, you know, with full permission, you know. As you hear Paul, you know, he said, I wasn't I didn't write these corrections because I hate you guys. I love you guys. I care so much about you. And we need to capture that because what we're going to look at as we look at church discipline. Some of the reasons churches don't employ any kind of church discipline, or don't, they don't do anything is it's, it's, the, it's the excuses given is that we just want to be loving. And we need to understand that love and discipline come together. Right. And the Bible says if you don't discipline your kids, you might know what it says. It says you hate them. 
You don't love them. You can't be like, I love my kid. That's why I don't spank them. No, no, no. You, you love your kid uh, when it's necessary. I'm not telling y'all to go beat your kids, you know, but <laughs> some of them need a whooping or two, though. But, you know, if you love them, God, the Bible says you will discipline them. It's part of loving your kids, giving them some boundaries and stuff. So same thing with the church, right? It's a loving thing to, to give discipline when needed. So now before we go to the next section, I want to catch you up on Paul's going to bring back up to them. Uh, a situation when he wrote first Corinthians, they had a lot of different sins, but there was one thing going on, a, a, a form of sexual sin that Paul said, y'all are y'all are worse than unbelievers with this. I'd like you to turn there with me and read it. We're going to look at first Corinthians chapter five, verses one through five. So if you guys will turn back just one book, first Corinthians chapter five, I'm going to read verses one through five. This is the situation to which Paul is referring. So I want us to read it so we understand what was going on. So. 1 Corinthians 5, 1. I give everybody a chance to get there. All right. It says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that is non-believers, that a man has his father's wife. So Paul says, y'all have a guy in the fellowship that's sleeping with his stepmom. That was bad enough, right? But the Corinthian church had, they were actually proud of it. Now, can you imagine a church that was saying, hey, this guy is sleeping with his stepmom and we accept him because we're a good church. Yay. <laughs> That's what was happening. We're, 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 let's, let's keep going. So verse two, he says, and you are puffed up. Y'all proud of this. You are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in body, I'm not there in the fellowship, but I'm present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you were gathered together along with my spirit and I'm sorry, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, look what he says, deliver such a one to Satan What for the destruction of his flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of, of the Lord Jesus. Paul says, that person, you need to deliver them over to Satan. Now that sounds really mean. Doesn't that sound mean? Deliver them over to Satan. But this is Bible. I'm explaining what Paul is saying. Paul says, look, you guys letting them exist here in the name of love is not really love. They, that guy feels like he's right with God because y'all have accepted what he's doing. You've accepted him. Is he right with God though? No. What does the Bible say happens? If, if you're a fornicator, which is having sex before you get married, and you do that habitually, the Bible says no fornicator will inherit the kingdom. It's not saying anybody's ever fornicated, because most of y'all wouldn't make it, me too. But it's saying if you're living in fornication, so you haven't repented of it, you're not sorry for it, even someone struggling with it is different. This is someone that just said, this is how I get down. I know God said don't, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's, that's the attitude here. This guy, is, is, he got his stepmom. I mean, dad's got a new wife, he stole her, and they showing up at church together like, you know, it's, 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 like it's all good. And the church is like, we accept him. You know, the other church wouldn't have him, but we'll have him here. And I, I, I'm just going to tell you what it's like today because there are instances today where there are churches today where anything goes. And you can come in there. You can have it's, it's churches where you can have two and three. You can come with this girl to first service, come with another girl to second service and come Sunday night with another one and nobody say nothing. You know, you could be living in all kind of sin there. The issue today for a lot of churches is, you know, we're going to be accepting every lifestyle. You know, these people, they live together like they're a married couple, but they're not really married couple, but they sleep together like they're married couple. We accept that. That's okay with us. Is that okay with God? 
then can the church, can we say, can we, can we leave them in that condition and not instruct them that, hey, you, you know, you can't stay like that, right? We, that's not unloving, right? It would be unloving to maybe blast them off in public. It'd be unloving to, you know, shoot them from the pulpit and be like, hey, I heard y'all living together. Everybody look at what I'm about to tell them, you know, like that would be unloving. It wouldn't be unloving to say like, hey, grab them on the one-on-one and say, hey, you know, let me talk to you guys and explain to them the truth, show it to the scriptures that... I care about your soul. I care about where you're going to go when you die. I care about your life, your soul, and, and love. It's a very difficult thing. This isn't fun to do, but I'm telling you, like, you have to. The Bible says you have to repent of that. God will forgive you, and we want to see that happen. But here, we're encouraging you. And someone would say, I, "I know all that, but still, I'm going to do what I do." What do you do with that person? Do they just get to keep doing it? Do they just get to come be? This is what I typically tell people. Then why are you here? Why are you coming here and listening to how to live for God and how to know God and walk with God when you have no intention of doing that? Why you coming? It'd be like if, if, if somebody comes to the gym every day with a with a Big Mac and fry and Diet Coke, you know, and they, they come every day to the gym to sit. They come walk in on the same time and sit on the machines, eat the Big Mac, eat the fries. I mean, you would be looking like, why did they even come here? You know, why was why are you coming to the gym eating Big Macs? You know, you don't even work out. What are you doing here? Right. That's what you would say. Well, that's what we would say to someone that's coming here to learn how to live for God, worship God, serve God, and have no intention to do. Why are you here then? Go, go out there. Eat your Big Mac. When you get ready to really get in shape, then come on in here. We, 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 we the spiritual gym. We get you right. you know. So, But don't keep coming in here with your, you tempting folk with your Big Mac. So there's a place for that sort of discipline in our day to day. The big issue is homosexuality, right? Even churches are changing their stance on it, you know, and so there are churches today where, you know what, as long as two, you know, what is it, uh, consenting adults, you know, you just can, as long as you consent, it's okay to do whatever you want to do. No, it's not. You don't make the rules. God made man. God made woman. God gave men certain. I'm sorry that the kids are in here. I'm, you know, God gave men certain, you know, body parts and so forth and so on. God gave women theirs. God does a, uh, you know, he put them together for marriage and so forth and so on. God is the one that created all the magic that when all those things come together, babies come and bodies do what they're supposed to do and kids can eat and all those miracles. God is, I didn't make, I didn't make Adam, I didn't make him a homie. You know, it was Adam, he was alone. Genesis 2.18, before God made the woman, he said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a woman, a helper comparable to him. Put him asleep, took out his rib, fashioned a woman, did the first marriage, put them together. God said, that's what I did. I created that. All the magic that happens when you get a husband and a wife. God, I did that. I'm, and he's good. I mean, what God did is good. God said, now, what Satan does, everything God does is makes a perversion of it. I'm going to take that thing that God made good. I'm going to pervert it into something really foul and then encourage people to do it as an affront to God. Right. If everybody lived that lifestyle, we would, we would cease to exist as a culture. We would Everybody would die. It would bring forth death because that's what sin brings, death. That sin would bring death to the entire human race if everybody did it. Whereas if everybody did what God did, if everybody got married and made babies, we populate and we'd be blown up. That's what would happen. Would there be life? And anyway, so that's one of the hot topics today. You know, you can't even talk about that. That's judgmental. That's unloving. That's wrong. No, it's not. It's, it's, it's the most unloving thing for me to do, knowing what I know, would be to look at a couple that's living that way and say, you're good. You're okay. That's unloving. That's messed up. That's on par with a medical doctor looking at a person that has full-blown cancer, seeing that they have full-blown cancer and deciding that I don't want to upset them. It's almost Christmas. I'm just not going to I'm not going to tell them they have it. That's we would sue that man for malpractice. Will we not? If we found that you saw it, 
You saw it five years ago, you didn't say something? We would sue them for malpractice. Now it's too late, I'm gonna die of it. There are gonna be people that show up in hell where it's too late. And they said, my pastor told me I was okay. That man's in trouble. That's, that's wrong. So we want to balance these things out. It's not unloving to tell people the truth. And, you know, I, I think that it's wrong if we're unloving in how we do it, if we're mean-spirited about it. There, we've all seen, like, the crazy Christian with big eyes. You're going to hell! And, like, they, like they enjoy saying it, too. You know, that's, that's wrong. That's not God's heart. There's a gentleness. There's a, there's a love and a compassion that has to come through that. They have to know above everything else that you are loved. And everything I'm saying is out of love for you. God loves you. Right where you're at, he loves you. I'm loving you with this truth. Hear me out. You know, has to come. Has to come across the right way, or you know, truth without love is is kind of brutal. Amen. We don't want to be that. So anyway, that's the background. This person was living in that kind of sin. The church was puffed up. They were proud of it. And Paul told them in First Corinthians five that you got to put that person out. You got to deliver them over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. For this purpose, right? The goal was that their spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul says, look, the purpose of the discipline is that they would be saved. It's a bigger thing. They might hurt right now, but they'll be better later. And that's what we're going for. We want them to be saved. We want them to be right with God. And the day that they meet God, we want that day. We want them to be right. They'll appreciate you then, right? Anybody here ever had your parents riding you for something and later on you appreciated it? But when you were a kid, you couldn't appreciate it? I had that. I had that so many times. I, I fought my parents about, you know, so many things. And as I look back on the battles that they won, unfortunately, I, I have to look back and be like, they were right. 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 I can't really find where they were wrong at as much as I want to. You know, I wanted to be I'm, they had us in, in private school. I went to St. Eugene and then I got kicked out and I went to St. John Chrysostom. And then I was finally had got permission. I, I broke my mom down. All my friends were going to Washington High School. That's where I was going to go, Washington High School. That's where I wanted to go. And, you know, I, was, I, I had got her broke down, but when I got kicked out of eighth grade, my mom was like, now you don't get to go wherever you want to go. You'll go where I send you. And your sister's at St. Bernard's. That's where you're going to go. And I'm like, I don't want to go there, you know, but she made me go there and they fought me. And their, their thing was, we want you to get a good education. And I'm like, I can get a good education wherever I go. I wasn't worried about education at that point in my life. But in hindsight, I look back at where they sent me and the sacrifice they made to send me where they sent me. And I look at what I gained from it. I did gain. I had, you know, there's a, I look back now and there are things that I got out of the exchange where I look back and I think, wow, they, I'm glad they won those battles. I fought them. I had excuses. I tried to, they had entry tests for some of these schools. And I remember they tried to send me to some all boys schools. I was having issues with girls were a distraction to me or whatever. So they, they, had my, they had me take this test for Loyola. And I remember I did this. I went A, 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 B, 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 C, C. I was, I'm, there's no way I passed that test. You know, I, I didn't even try. I didn't answer one question, you know, and I didn't make it in. Thank God. So <laughs> that would have been bad. But anyway, they, they do those things in love as should be the heart of the church, of the believer, when we're extending correction to somebody else. So now look down at verse five. Paul says, but if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. So Paul's speaking of that individual that, that he's caused grief. He says to all of you guys, he says, um, but, but let's not be, the, the heart here is that Paul is, is not wanting them to be too severe in the discipline. He's gonna explain in verse six, he says, this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. Here's important, too. Right. The church discipline didn't just come from the church leadership. 
He says it was inflicted by the whole body. How does that work? How, how are we all a part of church discipline? Well, in that scenario there, back in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul told them that they need to put him out. But later on in 1 Corinthians 5, I'm going to read verses 9 through 11. Paul's kind of following up. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11, Paul says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of the world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would have to go out of the world. Paul says, I'm not talking about non-believers. If you got friends that don't know the Lord, then spend time with them. Be a witness to them. They need your light to shine for them. So I'm not talking about non-believers. Paul says, I'm talking about people that are calling themselves Christians. So then in verse 11, he says, but now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone. And the phrase, the key phrase is named a brother. Anyone that claims to be a Christian that's living this way, who is sexually immoral, covetous, an idolater, reviler, somebody fighting everybody, a drunkard, or an extortioner. He says, then not even to eat with such a person. Here's the deal. Let's say someone is living in one of those lifestyles, just open, rampant, rebellion, sin. Not someone struggling with sin. Everybody here struggles with sin. And everybody that comes into a church is going to be struggling with sin. We're not talking about the person that says, man, I'm, I'm battling with alcohol. I'm really trying to get, kick this thing, but I'm having a hard time. We're not talking about the person that's struggling with sexual sin. I'm battling with this thing, but I keep falling, man. I, I need prayer. I need help. I need strength. We're not talking about that person. We're talking about the person that says, I know this is not the will of God. I see what the verses in the Bible say, but I'm going to do what I do. Bam. Not trying. No effort. I'm not, I'm not repenting. I'm not changing. I'm going to just be here doing what I do. Accept me. That's the person we're talking about. The person that is in rebellion and opposition. So that person, and I want you to note a couple of things, right? Paul was very nice because in chapter five of first Corinthians in here, they don't name him. They didn't say the guy's name. He'd be written down for all of Remember that guy, Julius, in uh, in 1 Corinthians 5? And they talk about him again. He just says, for such a man. It's, that's very nice. They leave him anonymous. They're not blasting him out. Why? Because they love him, right? He does. He did, he eventually gets right with God as well, but they're not blasting out his name. Some some people in the scriptures, we got their name. We got Alexander the coppersmith. Paul was like, I hope he get what he got coming. You know, <laughs> he, he did me much harm. You know, you got some people's names. Not this guy. Hey, such a one. And we don't want the punishment to be too severe. It's been inflicted by everybody. How's that work? Well, again, that verse in First Corinthians 5, he said, if, you, if someone's living that way, he says, don't even eat with them. And again, that sounds like, what? Somebody could be living. And again, it's, it's someone named a Christian. This is someone that says, hey, I'm a Christian. Why are you living like that, bro? I, you know, I don't care. I just do what I do, man. You know, Paul says, then you need to withdraw fellowship. Why? Are they in fellowship with God living like that? No. Sometimes people get the false security that they're right with God as, as they hang out with the body. There was a situation when I did youth ministry at another church. There was a young adult group and I went on a Thursday night to teach. And there was a guy in the group hanging out with all the girls, a very, very effeminate. And he had rings and wristlets and stuff like that. And I was just observing him like, you know, it, it just it just I mean, it's the fellows are here. He's just hanging out with them. And his hair was flipped down. It was dyed red in the front. I'm like, it was odd to me. I'm like, we, you know, we at church. I'm like, well, maybe he's coming to, you know, they're witnessing to him. So I hung out and eating. I'm like, how long has he been around? You know, oh, he's been here for months, you know, I'm, you know, pushing a year or whatever. I'm like, OK, anybody chop it up with him? Any of the guys, leaders, I'm asking the leaders, you guys talk to him, like, what's his situation, you know? And so I talked to him, and openly, openly gay, not, I'm not repenting, 
Just, you know, I, I like coming here. Everybody's nice. It's great. He's going to go home with his, with his guy, and he goes out. And, you know, it, in, in a lot of ways, too, is there was almost this open door for other people battling and struggling with this. But he was just openly living this way. And I'm like, is that right? You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Today's message from the book of 2 Corinthians is available to listen to again on our website. Just visit calvaryinglewood.org and click on teachings. Otherwise, you can download our mobile app to listen to more messages. Search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in your app store. If you're looking for a place to connect this weekend, we'd love for you to join us for church. Look on our website for the latest information on service times and locations. We're a group of people who love to learn from God's Word and be together as the family of God. Again, our website is calvaryinglewood.org. As we looked into the book of 2 Corinthians, has it caused you to think about whether you honor your leaders? It's clear in this book that Paul felt disrespected as a leader, and there were some who did not make it a joy for him to serve in leading them. God calls us to honor and respect the leaders God has put in place. Supporting those that God has positioned over you to shepherd you can bring about a great sense of godly unity. In fact, think about sending an encouraging note or message to those who are in a leading or shepherding position in your life. If you've noticed that this ministry has been a blessing to you, we're glad that we can be a part of that. Would you be praying for a transforming word? As the message goes out, many listeners may be hearing about the Lord for the very first time. Pray for open ears, soft hearts, and changed lives. Thanks for your support of a transforming word.